When was the last time you updated your story about yourself? Hi, welcome to another episode of Business Mindset Mastery. My name's Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach, and you can find me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And I am so excited to be talking to you guys today. Greetings from my new home in Southern California. Those of you who have been listening to me for a while know that the past several months worth of podcast episodes have been recorded in hotel rooms with spotty Wi-Fi, and here here I am with high-speed internet, no obstacles in the way, and I have got a story to tell you. I've been sitting on some things over the past week or two while I've been moving into the house, and now that I'm back at work, I am so ready to get back at it with you guys and to talk to you about the things I've been thinking about and learning, discovering, and I really can't wait to start. But in order to start about where I currently am, I have a story to tell you about where I used to be. Bear with me. It's a little bit long, but I think it's important. So here goes. So those of you who know me or have been listening to the show for a while know that my husband has a spinal cord injury. Um, He uses a wheelchair. He's paralyzed from the waist down. But when I met him, he wasn't injured. Um, I had been dating him for two years or so when I met um, before he got injured. And when we were dating, we were um, a little bit of a mismatched couple. It's kind of funny. We're probably still a little bit of a mismatched couple in some ways, but he was super active. Um, he would regularly be hiking these mountains in New Hampshire. He would run three to five miles a day. He was a scuba diving instructor. He liked to ski and snowboard. And me, I was a little bit of the mall wandering type. I loved going outside and outdoors. I loved landscape photography, but I didn't really hike very far to get there. And through our dating life and getting to know him and exploring life more, he got me chasing waterfalls, literally chasing waterfalls. We got a list in Massachusetts of all of the waterfalls in the area that we could hike to and we could see. And each weekend we started tipping them off one by one. And I became more active and really started to enjoy that part about myself. And I really came to love that part of our life together. When he got hurt, all of those activities got taken away. And he had to have them replaced. And one of the ways he replaced them, he had gotten hurt in 2005. And about a year after his injury, I got him skiing lessons. um, And he learned to um, do the adaptive skiing. And when I tell you he took to it like a fish to water, he just was so good at it. And immediately became friends with a group of people who were equally passionate about adaptive sports and um, what I call extreme adaptive sports. So he got into adaptive water skiing, adaptive bike riding, and he had this crew in New Hampshire that he would regularly go and hang out with. His ski instructor also uses a wheelchair, and this guy, Jeff, would kind of lead the crew in all kinds of adventures. One of the things they had done was they did this bike ride um, and if you're in a spinal, if you have a spinal cord injury, when you're bike riding, you're hand cycling. So you're sitting in a recline kind of bike using um, hand motions to get, um, you know, to push the bike forward. They did the Kangamangas Highway. Those of you who are on the East Coast probably know it as the fall foliage pinnacle of uh, 
New England, but it is a treacherous mountain climb, and they did that on bikes. And when he came back one day, he said, you know, all the spouses come, all of the partners come, and families come. You don't ever come with me. And I said, oh, I'm not really your girl for that. Um, you know, you can get me on a bike, and I could do the bike path, but I'm not an extreme sports person. I don't have the athletic ability for it. I don't have the drive. I'll embarrass myself, and I'll embarrass you. And he told me, this is really important to me. I would really like you to do it. There's a bike ride in two weeks. Please come. We're not doing the Kangamangas Highway. It shouldn't be so bad. So I pony up like the good partner. I get in the car and it's raining on this particular Saturday. And I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, I'm not the bike riding in the rain person. And I'm thinking about everybody we're going to meet, all of the people we're going to encounter. And I'm like, they are all the extreme sports activists. We're talking about people who hauled Jeff, this original ski instructor, up a mountain in his ski so that he could ski down it because it wasn't one of those like chairlift approved mountains. People would historically hike to the top of the mountain and then ski down. They hauled this guy up as a four-person team to get him to be able to do it. It's Tuckerman's Ravine, if any of you want to Google that one and see how absurdly extreme it is for somebody in a wheelchair. But that's the crew that I'm heading to bike ride. And I can feel as we're driving from Massachusetts to New Hampshire, the the anxiety bubbling in my belly a little bit. And I start saying, well, if we're not doing the Kangamangas Highway, like, what are we doing? And he said, oh, we're doing a ride around Flume Gorge. And I was like, Flume Gorge is like a mountain. We've done that. Like, we've walked the driving path to it, and it's it's uphill. And he's like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then the rain is still pattering on the window. And I ask, are, are we doing this bike ride even if it rains? So you can tell my level of excitement. I'm sure I was, like, dampening his energy. And, you know, he was probably at that point wishing I would just go back to that to Massachusetts and stay there on my couch with my Netflix. But we're riding. And then he says, listen, if it doesn't work out, if it's raining, they cancel it. We'll go to that little inn that has a hot tub in the room. So bad idea, husband, <laughs> because as soon as he told me there is an option to be in an inn on a rainy day in cold New Hampshire in a hotel room with a hot tub, I was so there. My mind was already in the hot tub. So we pull into the parking lot and it's still raining. Everybody's there and they're all unloading the bikes. So clearly this ride is happening anyway. And I say to, you know, I say to Damon, I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, you know, this, this isn't anything, you know, I can't tell even where we're riding our bike. And he's like, Shh, don't embarrass me. Don't embarrass me. So I'm trying to play it cool. I'm unloading his hand cycle. The ski instructor, Jeff comes over and he's like, so we're going to be going up Flume Gorge. It's about eight miles up. And the tears immediately flood to my eyes. So not wanting to embarrass Damon, I go around to the side of the car and I'm taking deep breaths and I'm trying to calm myself down. And meanwhile, all I'm thinking is I am the wrong girl for this. This is not me. This is not who I am. I am not cut out for this. I am a flat as anything flat as a pancake bike trail girl with 
no traffic, no lights, no nothing. This isn't me. I'm out of my element. Damon is like, you know, (laughs) don't embarrass me. So I'm taking deep breaths. I'm trying to pony up and we all start heading out. And I am just flooded with worry and fear. I don't want to look unfit in front of all these people, but these are like superhuman athletes and I'm just not one of them. I then see Jeff's wife, who's also named Heather, and she's kind of leading the pack. She's on a mountain bike And she's pulling somebody in an adaptive hand cycle with limited mobility next to her. So not only is she riding her bike up a mountain, she's also hauling someone with her. And I am like, this is not me. I'm the wrong girl. And I'm just frozen until I get an idea. (laughs) And here's what I do. I get in front of my bike. I... Like, so I get my bike in front of the pack and I haul ass in front of everybody. So I'm way ahead of the pack. And as soon as I'm out of view, I got off the bike and I walked. And then I kept doing that all the way up. So I kept hiding from the group so they wouldn't see me walking parts. Meanwhile, Heather is still hauling somebody with her. All the other extreme you know, <laughs> athletes are like just pushing forth on this mountain. And I was totally taking the easy way out. I was embarrassed. I felt small, but I didn't want to embarrass my husband because this isn't who I was. This isn't how I moved through the world, and I didn't want anybody to find out. And I wish I could tell you that the ending of that story ends in some like huge moment of confidence, but that's where it ends. I was the wrong girl for this particular job. I've been thinking about this bike trip several times in recent weeks because I'm in it again, right? I'm in a weird period of my life where I'm like, I don't know that I'm cut out for this. I don't know that this is who I am. I don't know that this is how I move through the world. Still living in a hotel. We purchased our home. We were in escrow for 30 days and we're learning about the redesign process. And the first thing that comes back is this moment when we hear that the design process before we can renovate is about 10 months. Now, when my husband and I originally made this plan to move from Boston to California, it was with every intention that we would come out, live in a temporary situation, buy a home, make it adaptive to universal design, and you know, make it our own with architectural details that are unique and special to us, and then move in. The home we picked is, you know, was built in the 50s. The kitchen appliances are 30 years old. The home is completely dated. I affectionately call it the Golden Girls House. But when we picked a home, we didn't know that we would be living in it for as long as we would be living in it. And a couple of weeks ago, I think I already mentioned this on the podcast, that we found out that the design permit, getting the bids and the construction is a 10-month process. I never imagined living in a fixer-upper for 10 months. And as soon as I heard 10 months, I was in the hotel with my husband at the time, I just quickly said, you know what, I'm going to go for a walk. And I went around the corner from the hotel, 
and I just started crying. I'm not this girl. This isn't who I am. Sure, I can help him with adaptive stuff, but I'm used to doing it with modern equipment. I, I'm not the right person for this. That same old tape from years ago plays. And I remembered that feeling of being on the bike path, of being like something is going to be asked of me that I am incapable of doing it. And then I just swallowed, took a deep breath, and realized I can do anything for 10 months that the home has carpet that's super, super thick, and that's never going to work for my husband. Um, We call rugs swamps for wheelchairs because it's so hard to push a manual wheelchair across a carpet. So I knew we were going to have to like pull up rug and make it adaptive and livable, and I knew I was going to have to be patient with everything, including the aging faucets in the bathrooms, the 30-year-old induction stove that nobody knows how to use an oven that doesn't get to temperature. And I just kind of took it on the chin and swallowed it. And then we got into our home for the first time this weekend and things are starting to feel like us. Like I'm unpacking, my plates and my dishes have come out. We have, you know, furniture a little bit. We've rinky-dinked it because we're just getting temporary furniture until the end of the move. And then I start talking to Damon about the rug project. It's immediately clear to me on an intellectual level that we really do need to pull up some of the rugs in the house because his hands are already starting to hurt and we'd are only been in the home for like four or five nights at that point and when I start talking to him about it I said listen I think we need to do this right like every single rug is going to have tack strips and nails and as soon as your wheelchair hits a nail like we're out of like we're out of our element like what are we going to do we're going to like I don't know that we're cut out for this how about we slow this down and he said he's like everybody pulls up rugs it's no big deal it's a bigger pain in the ass but it's nothing we can handle um you can probably see where the story's going right I weave that house, Um, take a couple of shaky breaths and think to myself, he's got the wrong girl. Like I am not a fixer upper person. I moved from a move-in ready two bedroom, two bath condo in Boston and barely did a thing to it in the time that we lived there. Um, Other than maybe shopping for accessories, he's got the wrong girl. I'm not cut out for this. And again, kind of ponied up, took a deep breath, cried a little bit, went back into the house, and uh, damn if I can't tell you that he and I pulled up an entire hallway's worth of carpet. I'm not going to pretend it was easy. I'm not going to pretend that my back didn't hurt, that we didn't get pricked a couple of times with nails, but we did it, and it went okay. And I started to think back to this train of thought that happens, and the bike ride wasn't the first time this has happened, where I have this moment of, this isn't who I am, this isn't how I move through the world, what the hell am I doing here, how did I land here? It's this little thread that comes in moments of challenge. It's come periodically in my life since before I even met my husband. And I realized on some level that that's a little bit of who I am, 
that at my core, when things get really challenging and really scary, when I feel like I might fail, when I feel like I'm a little bit out of my element and I'm not cut out for this, or worse in the scenario where I'm worrying about embarrassing my husband or not sort of showing up for him in the way that he needs me to, I start to feel small. But when I look back on that same path, what I do next is get it done. That I can define myself by somebody and as somebody who caves, who freezes, who cries, who has a meltdown, who has a pity party, because all of those things consistently happen. Or I can identify that I'm the person who figures it out. And sometimes I'm going to figure it out by taking the easiest way out. I'm going to get off the bike and I'm going to walk. Other times I'm going to grit my teeth, set my jaw, make a fist and just plow through until it gets done. But my story is that I'm capable. I keep telling people that this whole process isn't really overwhelming for me but it is incredibly intimidating. I'm constantly in this new world where I just haven't encountered things like this before. Again, like I I went from apartments to a move-in ready condo. I've never been a single family homeowner and dealing with it with disability where I'm put in the face of having to know things or be able to do things because he simply can't reach is completely out of my element. But here's the thing. I was thinking about the strength piece because people always talk about the personal development and they talk about pushing through and persevering and resilience to resistance and yada, yada, yada. And nobody talks about those moments of weakness beforehand, of being human, of being imperfect. And I'm going to talk about this more again tomorrow because this is definitely a longer discussion for you and I want you to be able to have time to think about it. But The struggle is part of who I am. That feeling, that moment of, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. But on the other side of it is the competency, is the ability to do it. And everybody starts asking me, well, how are you so strong? Why didn't you just quit? You could have hired it out. You could have called somebody. You could have asked for help. And all of those things and questions come up when I start to talk about how hard it is. But here's the thing. Those of you who have been listening to my show for a while know that this isn't my first moment of heart in this process. At one point in time on my last day in Boston, I was on the airport floor, uh, the airport bathroom floor crying, not sure if I could get on the plane. And then I did, and it turned out okay. And in those first weeks and probably the first month or so, I told myself and anybody else who would listen, I've been brave enough. So in the first weeks, I didn't go outside my comfort zone. I didn't try anything new. I didn't work on my business particularly hard. I put my business on maintenance mode. I saw the people that I was used to seeing. I didn't put myself out there on any grand scale because I had already been brave enough. So I took a break. The Heather you're hearing now, the story you're hearing now, comes on the other side of brave. Brave. This, my friends, is why we do this. 
This is why we're having these hard conversations about personal development. Why you hear me teaching you and encouraging you to choose the brave path, even if it's a little bit hard. Because when you push through and you get to the other side, that's where your strength and resiliency lies. I didn't kumbaya my way back into the house and prove myself capable of pulling up carpet. I fought for it. It was hard fought and hard won. But now I'm somebody who's capable of doing these things. I may always have the moment of doubting that. And there's no failure in that. That's not a reflection of personal development gone awry. That just might be how I process things. Going to a fight, flight, or freeze response, immediately thinking they called the wrong recruit in, someone else is better for the job, but then leaning into my experience of recognizing my own competency, my own competency. I am looking at this story, and I was talking. Um, I was talking to a friend this weekend about this, and she was like, "Well, maybe you need to update your own story. Maybe you're somebody who, um, you know, used to not do a fixer-upper lifestyle, but maybe you're somebody who is." And I, I know she listens to this show, and I'm gonna. <laughs> and this is what my response is: I'm not a fixer-upper person. I'm not going to be a fixer-upper person but I'm capable of being one when I need to be. That's what I want you to think about. The self-acceptance part and then the competency part. So often people don't move to competency because they're stopping at that point of struggle and creating a story about themselves and they're locking themselves into that story. You think because you're fearing failure or rejection that that means you shouldn't move forward. That if you're not as productive as everybody, if you're not as on top of the tech, if you don't have the business strategy tools, tips, and insights, that that's some sort of sign from the heavens that you shouldn't be moving forward. That just might be what you do before you take a risk. The whole point of taking the risk of moving into the vulnerability is because when you get to the other side of it, you truly start to see what you're capable of because it starts with knowing who you are. I'm not an extreme sports person. I am not going to be the person who chooses the hard path. I am always going to be the person who wants to hire it out, who wants to take the bike path, who wants to take the sunny side of the street and the scenic route rather than deal with intense traffic. That will always be me. But now I'm learning and seeing just how much I'm capable of. That's why I'm talking to you. That's why I'm sharing my journey with you with such transparency, because that's where we have to get you. We have to get you to a place where you can see your own competency, where you can build real, actual confidence by looking specifically, measurably, and observably at the things that you've done, the way you've moved through the world to see what you too are capable of. You have to hold that big picture because that's the other part of this, right? I didn't just 
decide I'm pulling up carpet. I am going to make this house work for 10 extra months. I am going to X, Y, and Z. In the moments of doubt, in the moments of uncertainty, I asked myself a singular question. Knowing what I know now, do I still want this? That's why my business is called Choose to Have It All, because we always have a choice. Now that I know that I'm stuck in an aging, archaic house with (laughs) appliances that we have to Google because nobody's heard of them, do I still want this? And my unequivocal, absolute answer is yes, absolutely, because this house is already home, and I see its potential. I am talking to you now from an empty office. I'm literally sitting on the floor, but I can see what this space is going to be and how I can get my desk designed and how I'm going to get it really well wired and set up for efficient podcast recording and how I can look at my backyard with a view of an orange tree. I may have those moments again. I guarantee you that I'm going to where I go, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't know if I'm the right person for this. And you are going to have those thoughts and feelings too, because it's, it's what happens when we're trying something new, biologically wired to fight, flight, or freeze. It is going to happen, but it is not our story. Our story is what we do with it. Your story is what you do with it. It is finding the moments of brave, living through them, surviving the vulnerability hangover, nursing it, respecting it, and then seeing that on the other side of it is a cord of strength, resiliency, and capability that you didn't have before you did the hard parts. That's why I'm talking to you today. Tomorrow, I want to talk to you about what it means to be messy and imperfect and how that fits with personal development. But for now, I'm going to wrap this one up for today. Thanks so much for joining me. I am so happy to be back in your earbuds, and I cannot wait to be back with you tomorrow. I got a little um, behind on answering some email questions that came over my absence, so I will be getting to those probably towards the end of the week. But if you have a mindset question and want my two cents on your issue, definitely, definitely email me over at heather at choosetohaveitall.com. Also, too, with a more reliable connection. I'm going to be opening my podcast to live coaching calls. If you would like to get some one-on-one coaching with me, um, give me give me a ring over at my email, heather at choosetohaveitall.com, and I'll get you set up and we'll do a live coaching episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for sticking with me during my absence, and I can't wait to find you again tomorrow. Bye for now. <music>